Hello, everybody. Welcome to a all new incredible cast. We're going to be talking again about the new series, The Incredible Pole Farm, airing on Natio Wild on Saturdays at 10 p.m., followed by streaming on Sundays on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. Today, I have some very special guests. As always, I have my wife, Beth. Say hello, Beth. Hi, everyone. I ha- And I have our very special guest, my dad, Dr. Paul. Say hello, Dad. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the viewers here. Yeah, so we watched uh, an all-new episode uh, this previous Saturday, episode three and episode four, and we're going to be talking about it today. So, Dad, you know, you did hay for all those years, right. and, and many of them by yourself. Did well, you... Diane helped me an awful lot. Diane did help yes. you an awful she lot. She drove the tractor, and I just you know, cut the bales on the wagon. But yeah, many times I had help from you know, neighbors or friends and everybody. But yes, you know, we, were, we were having horses here, and uh, we had to get hay for the horses. And we had all the, well, it was about 30 acres that we used for hay fields. So this has changed a little bit, but we wanted to get some hay off yet before it was turned into pasture. So that's what we were doing. When you, when you're doing hay and especially by like with mom and and yourself, how often did you run into issues whether they're mechanical like plugs like what we had or you know rain which is also what we had is that was that pretty much an every year occurrence rain you cannot control but we were not as busy in those days you know we were breeding our frisian horses and like i said we needed hay for that so yes i looked at the weather forecast and my time off and said okay we're gonna cut it and yes that old green tractor was working real good to cut the hay and I raked it, and yes, as soon as it was dried, it wasn't as thick as this field, and it made a difference. But sometimes you had rain on it, and then you know, we rolled it over again, and then started bailing it, and Diane always drove the tractor. Hey, Diane already drove the tractor when we were in the Netherlands yet at my brother's farm in the Netherlands. Somewhere or other there's a picture where we were bailing hay in the middle of the night. It looked funny, but that was good. But yes, yeah, so we were used to working with hay, and you were too young to run the tractor, and because then we only had a couple horses left, and we had enough hay. So then, uh, yeah, now you had to start with hay again, and for you it was a learning experience a little bit, but yeah. you did fine. Well, I mean, there were many years. I mean, you said I was too young. I was too young in the very beginning, but there were many years where I was old enough to put up hay. Many, many years. I think about <laughs> when I started to be eight years old, I started to really help. And then, right. and then, you know, we got, we went from bailing. So originally we'd bail on the ground. You would, that, you would that, bail and yeah. then we'd have to lift the hay bales. And I remember driving the station wagons through the field, pulling a uh, wagon, a hay wagon, and everyone would be walking behind and you would let me drive the station wagon at like really slow <laughs> speeds through the field. It's yep. actually where I learned to drive a car. It's yep. the farmer's Lots kids. of room to do that. Yes, that was way in the beginning when we didn't have all the equipment. So later on, we got the equipment. We got the hay wagons, and we just put the hay wagons beside, behind the baler, 
so that uh, the bales came right on top of the wagon. And that was it easier. And yes, if you don't make the, the wagon too full, it's a lot easier to work with. You know, so yes, when you had two wagons, many times people were helping us. One would bale, the other one would unload. And we were done with the field that we had in, oh, a day. Or two. But as I remember specifically, there were, I mean, like, it was vivid, and I'm excited for my kids to have these vivid memories of working and Beth because she needs to drive the tractor apparently. Right. But uh, let Beth learn drive the tractor too now. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Come on, Beth. That doesn't scare me. But uh, I I remember very vividly being a kid, and we'd all be working, being hot. And, and scratchy from all the hay and getting the scratches all day long. And there were two things that we looked forward to all day. Uh, and this was Diane and Kathy too, because they were helping as much as, as I was in the hay, or if not more at their ages, we'd work all day long. It'd be like late, maybe 10 o'clock, you know, just, just dark. We'd hop in the pool, mm -hmm. rinse off, cool off, and then you would take us out to, um, I think it was Big Boy, and we'd have ice cream. Oh, yes. And that and was, was always a, a good thing. That was and always was a reward. Yeah, that was a little earlier already. But, yes, we always had something good after a day's work. And that was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. And your, kids, your kids at this moment are still a little too young. I don't think that uh, Silas can drive a tractor i think he will like to would yeah like he to. would love to drive <laughs> yes. a tractor don't you think but, you know yes uh no he's a little too short his legs a little too short to use all the pedals but he'll be he'll be learning it soon and then you know you'd be surprised how much they can help or abigail abigail, abigail can drive the tractor soon yes i mean as soon as we'll we'll actually you've told me stories about farmers where they strap blocks to the kids' feet so they can uh, well, reach the pedals. That, there was one farmer, I still remember, and this kid was like eight years old, very short. He was standing in the skid steer. He couldn't sit down, and he was standing on the foot pedals, hanging onto the handles, and he was scraping the manure out of the barn better than anybody else that could sit down and work like. And he had just so much fun doing it, that skid steer was just flying through the barn, and he was just laughing his head off. And he, I think he was about eight years old. So, yes, you know, get Charles going on those things. We have him, too, and he's going to have a lot of fun. Yes, Silas. I, I know how to drive the, the skid steer, but yeah, <laughs> we know what you meant. Uh, you know, there's uh, – I do have a question, and, and a lot of people might know. I know the answer, but – Obviously, you know, in the episode, we talk about the, the hay getting wet and then um, bailing it at the point that it's not dry and having mold in there. The, can you talk about the fire hazard of that? Oh, and yeah. like how yeah. if, have yes. you known anybody when, that had a barn burn? Well, yes. Back in my former practice, there were several barns that burned because that was an all dairy area. And I've seen where, you know, people just put the square bales in the barn when it's too wet, and then it heats up. For some reason or another, it, it gets hot, and it will catch fire uh, because at a certain point of time, then it gets so hot that any, any spark any that starts it, and you can't stop it. it. That fire goes so fast, it's unbelievable. So, yes, you have to make sure that it is 
dry enough. Now, with the new baler that we now have, we can add what we call propionic acid, which helps to preserve the hay so it doesn't get hot, steamy. That's mainly in round bales, and round bales most of the time are stored outside, so in that way they are better preserved. But uh, the square bales, no, they have to be dry, otherwise you might as well throw them away because when you get molt in there, it is not good for any animal, especially not for horses. Yeah. Well, you know, so that was really nerve-wracking when it rained. And, Beth, uh, you know, to, to talk to you for a second, you, you went out to the bees switching gear. You went out to the bees um, to examine the bees. Looking back on the episode and, and where you are today, like – what is it like watching yourself in those first weeks after first getting bees and kind of what it was like for you to, to go and check on them? Yeah, looking back, I realized how little I knew. And I had these little animals, <clears throat> these little creatures that I'm taking care of. And despite the fact I had this general idea, I thought of what I was supposed to be doing. The truth was I wasn't doing anywhere near what I was supposed to be doing in terms of checking them. And I, I look back and I think, oh my goodness, because all I did was often lift the roof up and then peek inside. I didn't pull frames. I didn't do mic counts. And so I, the, the level of ignorance I think I had at that point <clears throat> was, um, despite the fact I had read with still pretty high. And uh, I learned uh, so much just that first year with working with the bees. And those first months was just this huge growth period from starting at step zero, right on up to uh, preparing the bees for winter. Yeah. And we actually, we went out together to, to pull those frames. And when you saw all the ants and bugs into the, uh, in the frames, um, and the the kind of the colony kind of being underdeveloped was there i mean what were your thoughts did you think we were going to lose those hives yeah i was definitely concerned i didn't know what they were supposed to look like but it didn't seem to me that in your apartment building for these bees you wanted to have bugs and um debris other kinds of things that were not just a, a bee hive that was swarming and busy like i had seen on the internet well, I think a big thing, you know, looking back on it was that we obviously had planted that hayfield, but it hadn't got to the point that we were bloomed. So they did not, they had things to eat, but they did not have the acreage that we currently have with the flowering to, to really pull in and take off. So like once we supplemented, once we started supplementing, I mean, how often were you, I mean, it seems like you were going out quite often with those, the uh, liquid sugar supplement for the bees. Yeah, I was out every other day. They would completely empty the jar that I would provide them. And so it was just a constant track out to take care of the bees. And, you know, part of the issue that we had was because we got the bees late in the spring and we had the fields going late. Many of the the bloom periods um, that are strong in the spring had already passed for the bees, um, even in the neighboring fields. And so, of course, then even though our hay went in late, um, it still wasn't timely enough to support the bees the way they needed. Um, and so it was it was sort of a facet of time. And I think one of the takeaways is understanding as a, someone who is keeping bees, recognizing what's happening in your environment and whether this is a good time 
um, to supplement because there is a lot of pollen available to the bees or whether there's really a bit more of a dearth. And so you have to, because you are late with them, um, or perhaps there's limited availability in the area to supplement to support them. Uh, Dad, so we were out there mowing and I got to tell you, mowing is a real challenge in that pen with like turning. I, I had, you know, you're hauling the mower behind you and and you're trying to make the turn of the fence. And I had a couple of times where I was really worried about clipping the fence. Well, um, that's that's why, you know, people that drive these tracks with mowers usually you know, sit looking backwards most of the time and steering with one hand. So yes, you always look behind you to see where the mower goes. Now the newest ones, you know, where you do it, uh, they are just self-propelled and you look at right in the front, so it makes a lot easier. But this was, you know, the old fashioned way of mowing hay and you have to really watch where the end of the mower goes. Yeah, it's, it was it was learning the old fashioned way first, and then maybe getting a little bit newer later. Yeah, see see Look, what comes next, right? <laughs> yeah, luckily I had you and Ben to help me out as spotters. And when we were riding through the field together, there was one spot where we really got plugged. Yes. What what happens? It was it like we were going too fast and too much no, hay going through. Yeah, not not going too fast. Many times it is there's a uh, weeds in there that don't get cut off very well and then it plugs the rollers and the rollers in the back basically are pulling the hay off the blade so that it comes more or less in a narrow line behind the mower but when there's too much or big pile of wheat or dirt then the rollers don't push it through it gets stuck in there and yes there is a safety in there of course that uh, if it's plugged then it just quits rolling and you might as well stop and put everything, pull everything out because that's manual. That's the only way you can do it. Yeah, well, I got Oh, go ahead. Safety Matt. was something that really crossed my mind as I'm watching the rake. Um, the the pines on the rake are so long, and you guys have to climb under there to pick out the plug. And you've got to watch your head, your body from um, being punctured. And then you're working underneath a really big piece of equipment. It's, it, I, I always have known that farming has an element of danger to it. But watching in action, you really realize, like, right. this is a problem that has to be solved. But it is a dangerous resolution if you're not being careful with what you're doing. Right. And that's why when you start working on the equipment attached to a tractor, you turn the tractor off when you work on it so nothing starts up accidentally. Because I've seen that happen on farms too, where, you know, the people think, oh, there's just a little thing in there and they do something and then it starts up by itself and they get caught in there. In fact, uh, you know, I know somebody that was trying to unplug a, a, ba a mower and his hand got caught and pulled his fingers right off. Ouch. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it can definitely happen. So and whenever you work on machinery, one way or the other, turn the engine off so it doesn't start up by itself. Farming actually has one of the highest rates of occupational hazard of any job. Actually, I believe more than less than than crab fishermen, but more than uh, p police officers. Right. If I, because there's so many different elements on farming. Uh, many farmers even, you know, you, you think about it, you're filling up a corn crib with corn 
and you fall in there, and then suddenly you just go right to the bottom of it because that corn is not packed in there, and many people suffocate in corn bins like that too. So it's always common sense. You know, don't go in any place that could be dangerous like that. And like I said, turn the engines, turn the machines off before you start working on it. That's always the only thing that uh, I was told by my dad. You know, if there was a problem, we were working with horses yet. You know, you unhook the horses before you started working on it and then prod them back to hook up to the mower. That's a good point about the varied equipment, too, because there are so many different pieces of equipment that are used throughout the farming process. And you have to know each of them well enough to use them. But that doesn't mean that you know each of them well enough to know how they would react in any given situation or to know the ins and outs so that, you know, fixing a plug might result in something unexpected happening. Um, and that and you usually have just one or two people working on a farm. I mean, on a small farm, you don't have the luxury of a lot of employees and you right. usually are working against time. And so I could see where trying to have all of this knowledge and experience in all these areas and hurry up because the rain is coming and I don't have time for this plug or, you know, I've got to hurry up and get this corn crib filled. Like that just could lend itself to danger as well. Yes. So, yes, common sense, turn the engine off, fix the problem, go back to work. Well, we got through it, and the hay did dry, and we were able to get to the baling process. And, you know, baling is is definitely uh, the hard, one of the hardest jobs on the farm. But I think when you're talking about baling, the thing that is the most difficult is being stacking up in the hay loft. Dad, you and I have done that so <laughs> yeah. many times. It, that's that's why you lose weight, Charles. <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, you you re really have to drink water yes. because the amount of sweat uh, that comes off you really dehydrates you. You're right, and it, and it can get it can get pretty steamy up there, over a hundred degrees on a hot day, 105, 110 degrees. There's not really any well, airflow. That's, that's our barn, you know. But many people now don't do it by hand anymore, like we did. Now, most of them now can pick up the bales with the machine, but they stack them up and just unload the machine in the barn and don't have to handle the square bales. And that's why no many, so many people now have round bales, which, yeah, is a lot easier because you are sitting on the tractor lifting them up and it's not physical labor anymore. It's just working smarter. Can you talk about the benefit of the uh, square bale over the round bale? Especially for horses? Yes. Uh, horses are very susceptible to mold and everything. So the main thing is that you keep the hay dry when you bale it. It has to be dry so there's no mold in there. And then uh, it's a lot easier, especially if, if you have the horses in pens by themselves, which we used to have, then you can feed every horse individual and... Uh, like the old-fashioned Dutch saying, it says the horse's owner makes the horse fat. You have to look at the condition of the horse to see what you have to feed them. This is why I feed our horses always individual in each in the stall, the grain. And I you know, feel, oh, hey, wait a minute. You can do with a little bit less. Or no, you have a fall on you. You have to do a little bit more. And it's the same with the hay. So, yes, one gets more hay than the other. At a round bale, which is so much easier... Yeah, they can eat their fill. And normally, hay doesn't bother them. They don't get that fat on it. So 
round bales now is, is really a, a lot easier to care for animals, especially when you don't have enough labor and you have to just work faster in order to get all the stuff done. Now, if One, you're just, go ahead, Beth. If you're just starting out and you want to do hay, what would be the essential equipment that you would have to have to be able to um, make a hay field and, and, and bale the hay? Okay, first of all, you need you know, the, the hay field, of course, and it all depends how much money you want to spend on equipment because, yes, we are not in the commercial hay business, but what you need is a mower. And many people now have self-propelled mowers where you sit in the cab above the mower and you can see you know, that the mower is working fine. So the minute anything happens, if there's a rock going through or something like this, you can stop it instantly. But we had a tractor with a mower behind us. So yes, you have to keep watching the mower that it keeps cutting. And once you have the field cut, then you let it dry. If it's dry enough, you need a rake to put it in windrows. And then you need the baler, and that all depends on if you want a round baler or a square baler. Horses do better on square bales than on round bales because when you don't have enough horses on a round bale, they tend to dig into the round bale for that little piece of alfalfa that's a foot inside. They can smell it. I don't know how. So, yes, they dig a deep hole in a round bale, and then they start breathing in the dust because you can't help it. Even if the hay is very, very good, there is dust in it. So when I say you need enough horses, I would say a minimum of three or I'd either see, like to see more, four or five horses on a round bale because then they finish it fast enough. But if you have one or two horses on a round bale, they many times breathe in that dust and then get heaves. Heaves is uh, lung where, the, yes, the inside of the lungs actually get scar tissue in there. You could call it COPD or whatever. But the problem is that the horse cannot breathe good anymore. So round bales are fine if you have enough horses. Right now, like I said, we have the three horses, but we have a lot of sheep to go with it. So they finish the round bale pretty fast, so they cannot go in deep and look for that little piece of a felfa that's a foot and a half deep. That's the whole secret. And, you know, square bales do have the versatility. Even if, you know, round bales, you want to put up square bales or buy them if you can because like, we, we plan to um, breed our sheep and, and buy pregnant sheep. And when you have young ones or you, you pen off a few animals, it's it's just really important to have them have hay and feeding the square bells to a few animals or individual or penned animals or no, no in the wintertime bath. Um, it's a lot easier to grab that, uh, <laughs> a square bale, that put square a bale than try, yes. or try to rent or try to use the pitchfork to get enough hay off a round bale to bring to them. It, it definitely is a challenge <clears throat> going into episode two. Once we got the, um, hay off the field, we had to construct a fence. And Dad, can you talk a little bit about electric fences versus like the horse fence, which we put up for the sheep and, and <laughs> no, why you it need all, it? It all depends what kind of animal you want to keep in the fence. 
Electric fences work very good for large animals like cows and horses. Goats do not listen to the electric fence. And sheep especially not. So if you have goats and sheep together, you better have both. And I think that's what we do now too, Charles, because we have the electric fence inside a woven wire fence because if you have just a woven wire, the sheep will actually climb the wire and just pull it down. But the electric fence is inside, so yes, they're going to get a shock on the nose and then they stay off. At the same time, a woven wire fence for horses, they reach over the top, unless you have a six-foot fence like they have to do for elk, they reach over the top and push it down. So the combination of the electric fence and the woven wire fence keeps all the animals right in the pasture. And obviously we had horses originally. So we, you know, and, and for many years, like that part of the pasture was closed off to the horses. So there was a, a lot of repair and maintenance of the fences. And there is every year. That's, that's kind well, of one of the shocking things. You, thing. you have to keep fences up. You know, they, they deteriorate. And yes, don't forget, don't forget, we had Elsie too, remember? Yeah. Yeah, we had a Jersey that, uh, I don't know for how many years, we had Elsie. And she was in with the horses. And yes, cows will stop for the electric fence too, because they can, the nose is very sensitive, and they don't have the wool and the hair of some goats. I think the maintenance is one of the things that has surprised me the most. There is no idea with the livestock to just put something up and say, okay, it's good to go. It's done. Like you're squared away. You won't be squared away in two weeks. It, they figure out a way to knock their trough down or to break down the fence or make something loose. And um, they find the weirdest pieces of hardware out in the field, like things that you swear you've looked for. And I'm, I'm sure I've gotten everything. And then lo and behold, like that, they find what you miss. Yeah, the whole secret is, you know, if you want to test the fence, you know, the fence goes around the field. So you go ahead to the far end of the field and you just touch it. If you get a shock, it works. <laughs> well, we had to, I, I mean, like we, we, we had to do a lot of um, walking around the fence yes. and the perimeter. It's definitely something that, you know, is it, when I was a kid, I would talk to my friends who were farming kids and they would always tell me like, Oh, I'm I'm out fixing fences, and now having a farm, I understand <laughs> that it's not just a a one one and done type of project. You're you're out there constantly maintaining the fences, but um, when we pulled that woven wire fence, actually, you know, we had to do. You came out and you said that the the fence posts were put in too wide because it is an electric fence. Yes, that's designed for high tensile, but the wool or the, it's the not actually technically a woven wire fence, but we'll call it a woven yeah. wire fence. But the, the fence that we put up, um, is, is, uh, it's heavier. It's so heavier. It, it needs more support in between. Yeah. So yes. we had to put in those T posts. Yes. That was, that was, uh, if it wasn't for Ben's guys, I got to tell you, when you have a bunch of 18, 20 year olds out there, <laughs> big, strong guys, um, and, and a whole group of them, you can get 70 to 80 T-posts pounded into the ground, especially that clay, that hard clay. And can you talk a little bit? Because we had a hard time. I was shocked. I grew up here, but you know that we were using the auger on the clay ground and 
we broke the bit on the art, not broke it, but we sheared off the shear pen for the clay auger. It just could not get through it. And even Ben's excavator, he had to take off the blade and just use the teeth in order to dig down into that clay because right. it's so tough. Especially in the summertime, this clay gets so hard. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and we had to put in a couple of fences, which, I mean, actually, technically now, we what we did was we moved the electric fence completely inside and the woven fence outside. But at the time, the fence, when we first did it, and this is kind of a live and learn thing, what we were doing <laughs> is the fence went, the electric fence went from the outside or say the inside to the outside around the corners to be able to pull it tight. And because it was electric fence, that was fine, but we were doing the woven wire and the woven wire can't come in contact with the electric fence. So we had to plant those posts around the section where the wove, the wire fence switched. So we put the, the posts on the inside so we could run the woven wire on the inside of the fence. And that turned out to be a huge mistake once we put the, the animals in there and we've since rectified it because yes. Beth, I mean, you could tell this story better than ever, but I will never forget. We were going off in an emergency call and dad and I drove by and we saw the cows pushing down the fence. And I was like, Oh boy, this yeah. isn't good. And that was <laughs> right. Beth, you can pick it up from there. Right. I mean, that was a crazy day. I fielded a call from the clinic. I fielded a call from you. Thankfully, a friend of mine had stopped over and she has um, a couple of kids. And so when the call came in, like the cows are walking down the side of the road, um, we had enough people on hand to be able to get the cows rounded back up. But it was a serious effort. I had cows in the backfield. I had a cow walking down the side of the road. They just, they went and they didn't care. And they were like, we're free. We're out of here. I know. And the best the best way to get them inside is get a bucket of grain and start screaming. Hey, you want a food? No, we animals, we had, come, animals come for food most of the time. They do. It was really helpful. We did get the buckets of food and we actually had passerbys that were coming down the road who stopped to help us. Um, someone from the clinic came down who uh, is used to working with cows to help us. We did have to do some immediate fence repair. It was binder twine, T-posts, everything we could do to like rig it back up long enough for you guys to get back from your farm call right. and take a proper look at it. But that was some work. It was myself, um, <laughs> two other ladies and several children. And um, and thankfully, the kids were, you know, early, like 10, 11, 12. So they were old enough to actually be helpful. But I don't know what I would have done if it was just me at home with the kids the day you called and were like, hey, the cows are on the road. So I've learned you have this bucket of emergency fence supplies on hand. Like there's one out by the where we keep the grain um, toward the back. And there's one in the garage right here up by the house. So you always know where the emergency bucket is and includes a post hole pounder, some extra binder twine, scissors, the T-post pounder. Like it's worth the investment to have. Planning is something that I think as we go through this process, I'm learning more and more how important it is. Obviously, if you have a garden, you have to plan what goes in the ground and what you're going to do through the season. But like it's farming is gardening on a master scale. When you're talking about the fences, 
you have to think about, okay, what animals do I think I'm going to get right now? But then what animals might I want to get in a couple of years? Because you want to be sure you do the fencing to support what it is you may bring into the farm in the future. And the same with the hay field and the planning for, okay, how much hay do I need? And how many acres do I have to plant? And um, it's not that I, I ever assumed that farming didn't require planning. I'm just impressed by the amount of it that has to happen all the time on so many different levels and in so many different areas. Yeah, and then the biggest thing is that you're so dependent on the weather, especially for hay. You know, also though for you know corn, if you start planting corn, you know, if it gets too wet, you cannot harvest the corn. Corn silage is the easiest when you have a big dairy farm. But uh, yes, the, the dependability on the weather is unbelievable. And, and this is why, yes, you got to do it when the weather is good. And sometimes it uh, will take sometimes days, especially with hay. We've had it where, you know, we had cut the hay and it rained. And then just when it was about dry, it rained again. And that really diminishes the quality of the hay too. So yes, you have to listen to the weather forecast and hope that they are right in order to do the right job and, and get the best quality hay. Well, there's, so on top of all the other jobs, you add weathermen to it as well. <laughs> well, there's always something to be done at the farms. No matter the weather, you know, if it rains today and you're going to cut hay, you can you can go fix fences or you can do something else. And, and, and it has been that way. It's been a lesson. Um, I think one lesson for you, Beth, and can you talk a little bit about no-no? I mean, no-no was featured pretty heavily in this episode, and yes. I really, it was really great to see her out in the yard with the other animals and and um, how she's kind of is with the kids. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about your special goat? Yeah, no-no really is a special goat. Um, she came to us in 2018 at the fair. She was really a, a gift from Charles for me. And I think that because she was managed as a, 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 she was raised up from the time she was born by a young man who did a lot of handling. He was a 4-H participant. And so um, she was very used to people. She came into our household and really sees us as part of her herd, or maybe we are her herd. And so she lives back up with us on the porch. She accommodates and acclimates to everybody. She likes the cats. She likes the kids. She likes the, the cows. She Well, not so much the sheep, I will say. They do give her a little run around, but uh, I think she would hang out with them if they were more accepting of her. But she likes uh, the dogs, and, and it's really... It's really fantastic to see how she has just fit in to our area and our space. And she's still so friendly with everyone. She loves to see what's going on. Um, she's actually really good. She does eat some things, but in general, I think she's only ever eaten one package off the porch, and that was Charles's coffee. And uh, otherwise, she's not particularly destructive. She leaves a mess everywhere because, uh, as Charles advised me, you can't potty train a goat and you can't litter train them. And so there's goat pellets everywhere, which is definitely the worst of the whole kitten caboodle. But um, she's fantastic. And we had talked about bringing in another goat because I love her so much. Like two no-nos would be twice as much love, right? I yeah. would say so. Because <laughs> don't forget that no-no doesn't stop for the fence where the dog stops for. You know, these goats are very agile and she clears the fence where the dog just stays behind. Right, Charles? Yeah, I mean... Uh 
people stop all the time and I'll be mowing the lawn or, or even when I'm not mowing the lawn and people stop and I'll see a car pull in the driveway and I'll say, Oh no, no must be in the front yard because they'll, and they'll come and they'll say your goats out they're in the front yard. And I'll just tell them, Oh, we have a free range goat. She's a free range <laughs> goat. She doesn't, she never goes in the road. She always stays in right. the property and, and she yes. knows her territory. She's very intelligent, but, can you talk a little bit, Dad? You didn't think you you suggested we not get a second goat because when you have a solo animal like that, they're they're very different than when you yes, get two animals. Because this this goat by itself then starts depending on people and thinks that people are part of the herd. But when you get two, then you get the mischievous end of them because it's just like in dogs. One dog is very friendly, two dogs is a pack. And they don't always stay where they're supposed to because you have one that is dependent on the people and likes the people, it stays around. If you had two, they would be at the neighbors to see what's to eat in their yard because, hey, let's go together. We have fun. Yeah, so they, they want her more, but it's also, it's not just us. I mean, she really, it, I think one of the reasons why she's taken so well to the dogs and the cats and the different animals um, is also because she doesn't have the pa the companion, so she finds right. the companionship with the other animals. It, it, it very much changes their behavior, and it, it's made her an incredibly special part of our farm and mm -hmm. like a very special animal on the farm. Yes, and that's because, yeah. like I said, she's by herself and now is dependent on the people, and that is, that's how you make pets. Well, one of the big elements of this um episode was the county fair and then focusing on the county fair it was the small animal auction dad can you tell us a little bit for the folks that don't know what makes up the small animal auction okay we have a big healthy 4-h group here in isabella county and that means kids can do projects many have animals for a project and the small animals is yeah the goat is a small animal for somebody who's done it sheep is a large animal don't ask me who made that thing but we have goats we have chickens we have rabbits we have geese that are ducks in there also and these are all the animals that the kids work with and then show uh, I hate to be a judge because for me it would be very hard to say what animal and what rabbit would look better than the other. So I'm going to leave that up to different people. I just work at the fair there to make sure that all the animals stay healthy. And yes, we check it in the goats, we check it in the horse because those animals go back home. So we make sure that they don't carry any diseases there. But so yes, the small animal auction then comes when these projects can be sold. And the kids many times write letters to various organizations, to people, you know, asking to support them in their project. And uh, you can tell sometimes you know, who has written to certain people because sometimes the prices go way higher than others. But that's the fun part with the fair where you know, we help these kids around and they can then sell their project and yeah, use the money for whatever they want to. Many parents will say, oh, yes, this goes in their college fund. 
And yes, if they do that for 10 years, they may have a little saved up to go to college. But the main thing is to help these kids enjoy working with these animals. So yes, the small animal auction, it's always fun. It goes fast and you buy it and then you can either keep it, you can resell it afterwards, or you can give it back to the kid if he wants to. Well, so at this auction, um, you bought some turkeys, which you took home now, some females. How are they doing, by the way? We uh, bought you know, chickens. We keep the chickens all the time. We bought the ducks, and they're doing fine. But it's strange again there. You know, we bought two sets of ducks. Uh, I think they were both a male and a female. But these ducks are hanging out by themselves, and they're not really going messing with all the other ducks that we have. So yes, we like to have all these, these that fowl around. We have geese, we have ducks, we have peacocks, uh, some guinea hens, and of course the chickens and also banties. So a little bit of everything. And we just love having them around. So yes, it all depends what you buy, whether you keep it or you resell it. No, when we buy a goat, we resell it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beth, were you disappointed that we weren't able to get No-No a sister? I mean, obviously you understand why, but did you really have your heart set on a uh, Yaya? I'm torn. I love the idea of having a second goat because I love No-No so much, but the idea of her changing and being something other than what she is and more attached to another goat and less attached to me um, I don't want to go through that because I love the relationship we have right now. And so while another goat will be fun, if it's going to change the dynamic of what we have, then I want to keep things just the way we are. So disappointed, yes, but only in that I know the reality is that it probably would be a big change, not just adding a goat, but making my goat less of a person and more of a goat, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so the, the last part of the episode is we uh ben's daughter brooklyn looked over and she was talking about the rabbit and dad you talk so much about kids growing up with animals and brooklyn they uh ben and christy they have a dogs they've had dogs um but that's basically the only animal that they had and brooklyn you know when you when your family has a dog and dad takes care of it, it it's your dog but it, it's not your dog but when you get a rabbit that you can bring home in your room and kids having that opportunity, um, it was it was awesome to be able to give her that. Um, but can you talk about uh, both rabbits as pets and also the importance of a, a kid having an animal and any animal, something like a rabbit or even a gecko? Yes. Or yeah, 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 rabbits and especially the rabbits that come from the fair from the 4-H are handled quite a bit. So they are pets. And for me, it's so important for kids to give them responsibility by taking care of animals. Charles and all the, the girls all had to take care of the animals before we had supper. And yes, I was there supervising, well, especially when they were young. But a little later, you know, they were completely on their own taking care of them. And Kathy also had a rabbit that she took to the fair, very, very tame. And people that have rabbits, they can have rabbits as, you know, a single rabbit easily as a house pet. Uh, they can be actually potty trained, you could call it, where they, you know, go to the bathroom in a certain corner where you have a litter box for a rabbit. 
and yes, they can run to the house like a cat. And many times people have a cat and a rabbit and they come, they get along very, very well. It all depends what kind of dog you have, whether they get along with a rabbit, because if you have a hunting dog, no, I would not say that you can have a rabbit running loose with a hunting dog because when that rabbit goes fast through the house from one end to the other, that dog will chase it. But otherwise, yes, a little rabbit, that are the, you know, the little Dutch rabbits, they're very tiny. You can have them right in the bathroom, or I'm sorry, in the bedroom with the, with the child. Just make sure that they're not in the drafty area and let the kid handle it. There's research done that if kids roll around on the floor before they are a year old, allergies are reduced by 40% later in life. So in that way, animals are just a beneficial factor in growing up with kids. Very important for me. And yes, keep the animals healthy. You know, you have dogs and cats have to be vaccinated, of course. Rabbits don't have to. But make sure that they are not, never in a drafty area. Make sure that if, you know, the litter box is cleaned regularly so there is no dirt in there all the time. And let the kid handle it. Most of the time when you have one rabbit like this, they, the rabbit doesn't get any diseases that make the kid very sick. So enjoy it. Play with it. Let it run through the house and just make it a pet that when you call it, it comes to you. Beth, um, you know, obviously, I think you can speak to this. Uh, Prince went home with Brooklyn. Uh, Prince Charles, they named it after uh, me. So that was nice that, you know, I bought the rabbit and they named it Prince Charles. But uh, can you talk about like uh, this rabbit and like how much it's added to Brooklyn and and, you know, the changes that you've seen by her having this rabbit and her taking care of it? Sure. First of all, I'd just like to put a disclaimer out there. Prince Charles may be the most spoiled rabbit in this country. <laughs> he is very well taken care of, very, very loved. Um, Brooklyn just adores him. He has, um, she is good with his diet. Obviously he gets treats, but she's also very good about making sure that he eats the things that he needs to eat and that are healthy for him. And so in that way, along with cleaning his pen and giving him attention, she's learning to take responsibility for something other than herself and to have ownership over that. So if he if he gets a little bit too overweight, then that's her responsibility and she can understand like we overfed him. And so now I have to, you know, bring that back down and exercise him some more. So she's she's learning the consequences to the things that she's doing as well and how they impact not necessarily someone that's just herself, but the the animals and the beings around her. Um, but it also he gives her such um, he's just a warm little body to hold on to and to run your fingers through that fur and to really um, to really love. And so whether you've had a good day at school or a bad day at school, or you feel like you need a little extra comfort or attention, he's always there and he's always excited to be able to spend time with her. And, and I think, Dad, that's one of the things that you have talked about a lot is that it's so running your fingers through the animal's hair um, is just so healthy for us mentally, emotionally, um, to be able to connect with something that's uh, alive that can understand us, but that doesn't necessarily talk back or respond to us in any way other than just giving love back. Yes, that's very important. And it's a, it's amazing. You don't really know why it is, but running your hand through fur is a calming effect. Uh, there are so many instances where animals help people. And that is not just a four age. That is not just... Like I said, it's all over the place, and we can talk about it another time if you want to, Charles. 
<laughs> yeah, no, uh, we do have to wrap up here shortly, but uh, just one final thought about, you know, when we started out, we really aimed at a building a farm for our kids. Um, but there was a goal, I think, Beth, you and I, Dad, you as well, we all talked about it, wanting to inspire other people to feel confident to be able to do this, to have a farm or even get an animal. Um, and it to me, it was amazing to see and hear even within the episodes themselves. And as we were doing this project, Brooklyn just saying, well, I want a rabbit and being like, okay, well, let's get a rabbit. And now she has a rabbit and she loves a rabbit and she couldn't see herself not having a rabbit. And that was just one example. So I was blown away by the inspirational process. And I hope that people, when they're watching this, they can see the the different animals that you could have. Uh, the fact that like a rabbit can make a great house pet, for example, for a kid, but also, you know, as a farm animal or these farm animals get expired to do chickens or, or uh, goats or sheep and, um, and 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 pick it up and do it that that is a big hope of mine but it really blew me away that we were able to see it within making the show i didn't right. expect that i didn't expect you know all of a sudden Bro ben and brooklyn to get the farming bug and start getting animals of their own yeah and the cool thing is you don't have to go haha uh -huh, whole hog if you will um you can really just pick and choose elements that work for you that work for your space that work for your environment and your lifestyle you know cats are a creature that you can actually leave for a day or two um you can put down enough food leave them with a clean litter box fresh water and they're going to be okay they're going to be excited to see you when you come home um there are other animals that you have to be aware like chickens you need to be able to let them in and out of their pens every day. You have to collect their eggs. They need a little bit more um, oversight, perhaps, than a cat would, for instance. And so the cool thing is, is you can have animals. You can do things with the farm, even if it's just a little window garden that grow. You know, you grow some herbs for your kitchen. Like there's a lot of ways to experience it without necessarily having to have acreage or to invest a lot with a fence or a large number of animals. You're right, because right now we find that many, many people in the suburbs have a little chicken coop in the back end of the yard. And yeah, the neighbors many times complain if there's a rooster present because he wakes up everybody, but chickens don't. And you don't need a rooster for chickens to lay eggs. So yes, if you want, you know, five, six, seven, eight chickens they don't have to have a big area to run in. You know, the, the chicken coops are being sold at many places for that number of chickens, and then you still catch your fresh eggs every day. So, yes, taking care of animals, I think, is, is a very easy thing to do at the end of the day to get rid of all the stress of work and animals respond to you one way or the other. They help you get rid of the stress of all the, the problems sometimes that they have. You know, you can sit and talk with them. Chickens will answer you back. Not that I understand what they say, but they talk back to you. And, you know, the goat doesn't talk that much. But, yes, animals are is a stress reliever for many people. And it's well worth it having them. There, you know, that it's great that you say that, Dad, and bring it up because 
the animals, all the animals, and we have a bunch of them, a bunch of very different animals, but they all very unique. They all have their very own unique personality. Even the chickens are, are very different individually from one chicken to the next. And the more you spend time, the more you begin to spot those difference, appreciate those difference and enjoy them. Like there are chickens that I honestly, you know, you're like the favorite chicken and you don't think you would get attacked attached to a chicken but you can i would say to point out like for those people who are thinking about chickens you can get automated doors that will go up and down that you can time and program so if you do have to go away for a couple days throw them a bunch of dr pole chicken feed and uh make sure they have plenty of water and you can maybe go away just like a cat as long as you have an automated door going up and down uh your eggs might be a little stale but one great thing about eggs too that as a farmer you realize and as maybe a person in the city you didn't even know, you don't have to refrigerate eggs. Once you put them in a refrigerator, you have to keep them in the refrigerator. But eggs will stay good for many, many, well, I wouldn't say many, many weeks, but they'll stay good for a couple of weeks completely on the counter at room temperature. It's a, it's a crazy thing, but it's true, right, Dad? Yes. And speaking well, as a city girl who struggled a little bit with that concept, I can tell you it does work. It just you just got to get your mind out of the fridge and out of the counter and you can do it. Exactly. Get your mind out of the fridge and out of the counter and you'll have some of the best eggs possible. Right. So we really appreciate everybody joining. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up for this episode of the Incredible Polecast, but you can tune in to Another episode next week on Sundays of the Incredible Polecast. As far as the Incredible Pole Farms, enjoy them Saturday nights at 10 p.m., 9 p.m. Central on Natchea Wild, followed by Sundays you can stream episodes on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. Until uh, we see each other again, I hope you guys have a great week. We really appreciate, uh, Dad, you coming by and Beth, you being here with us. And just want to let Dad, you have the final word here. Well, thank you for watching us and thank you for joining us. And I hope to see you soon with another podcast. So just keep us tuned. Thanks for watching.